you're just joining us, you came on a good Sunday. We are just beginning our journey through this letter. We're going to walk through this letter chapter by chapter. And you might be wondering, what does an ancient Roman colony in the middle of Greece have to do with my life in Columbus, Ohio in 2019? Well, truth is, and especially you know this if you were with us last week, more than you could imagine. Corinth, when you just take a look at it, we learned that they were cosmopolitan. They were diverse. They were a progressive city. They were a competitive city. This is where all the entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial-minded people went to make it in life. They had a celebrity complex in this city. And so even though we are separated by 2,000 years... And 5,301 miles. Yes, I did look that up. (laughs) Not much has changed. Okay, so this small community, this small church, which met in houses. Picture that in your mind. They met in houses. They loved Jesus. And they were rescued by His one-way love. And the reality was they didn't know their Bibles very well. And so what they did is they encountered a lot of hard questions about life and about their city. Questions about sexuality, questions about gender, questions about other religions, questions about multiculturalism, questions about wellness and what that means. There's all kinds of things that they were struggling with. So so that we have this letter. This is a letter written by the Apostle Paul who himself experienced the one-way love of Jesus. Was called to be an apostle, a leader in the early church, and he writes this letter to address these questions and more. So I'm excited to walk through 1 Corinthians and hit all these issues to hear how God has a word on some of these great perplexities that we wrestle with even today. All letters have a greeting. This week, we're going to be looking at Paul's greeting, the first nine verses of chapter one. Okay, so let's take a look. I'll read. You can follow along and then we'll pray and get uh, get started. This is God's word. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together With all those who in every place, that would be us, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, would you speak this morning for your servants are listening? Would you open the eyes of our hearts this morning? Because without that, we would be lost. 
We need you to soften our hearts. We need you to open the eyes of our hearts. We need need you to unstop our ears so that we can actually see you, Jesus, in your word. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So many of you know that Josie, my wife, and I dated long distance for three years before I moved to Columbus. And so in one sense, that's a really long time. But when you're constrained to the phone, and remember in those days, evening calls were only free. Okay, so kids, uh, that is not enough time to get to know each other. And so when I finally graduated and I came to Columbus, I started working with a campus ministry here at Ohio State. And that was a tough year for me. I'm just being completely honest. I struggled. I struggled with loneliness. I struggled with sadness. And I was not the Joe that Josie knew and the Joe that I presented over the phone all those three years. You know, the Joe that she got to know was a joy, uh, a Joe that had joy, frankly. And the Joe that presented himself uh, when he arrived here to Columbus was less laughter and less joy. And then one day, my mentor during this time in ministry, who was very influential to me and still is, said in a performance review that I was melancholic. And those words stuck. And so for the rest of that year, and really the rest of my 20s, I would sort of just say to Josie, that's just who I am. I'm a melancholic person. And I remember the very first time I said that I was melancholic to her, and she can confirm this, amen, Josie? She was like, no, that is not who you are. I know who you are. You had a rough year. You are not melancholic. But what it did is it showed for me how powerful naming can be, especially when it's from an influential person. When someone names you, it sticks for good or ill. And let's be honest, most of the time it's ill. There's a power when others name you. I remember the time and place when a popular kid in my middle school named me Big Bird because I had skinny legs. I remember the time and place. It was okay to laugh at that point. I'm just, I'm just releasing the tension there. Uh, I, I remember the time and place when the basketball team that I played on named me Butterfingers, which is not an original name, I know, but it went down deep, let me tell you, because every time a ball was passed to me, I would indeed drop it. I remember the time and place when my tennis coach called me team leader. All those identities shaped me. I carried them with me. I mean, do you have moments like that in your life? I'm sure you do. When you were named by another person. Maybe you have parents who named you Bossy Pants. Queen Bee. Needy. Bratty. Lazy. Awful. You carry that designation your whole life. Uh, Dr. Lisa Firestone, she calls these accidental identities because unless you were verbally abused as a child, these identities were given to us 
in large part accidentally with like direct words or indirect actions. So direct words, as I said, uh, you are so loud, you know, you're so loud or you're a troublemaker or you're our anchor. Some of you heard that you are our anchor. You hold us together or you're the calm one in our in our family. And we have these things that were spoken over us and given. And then therefore we are given, though the parents or the caretakers didn't intend it. We are given an identity. We are named and it sticks. A lot of times it's indirect. She points out that an overprotective parent named us indirectly weak or unable. Or if your caretaker had anger in their eyes, you were worthless. Or if your caretaker walked on eggshells around you, you were scary, unreliable, a burden. Well, these are accidental identities that were given to us. It's like high school drama class all over again where you're given a role that you didn't ask for, but the rest of the semester you got to sort of play it out. And even if you rebel against that role, it's still tied to you. You're rebelling against it. Man, who will deliver us? I mean, it doesn't even have to be in the past. It can be today. Maybe it's your boss, an ex, or that kid at the lunch table, your teacher. I know some of you kids are coming into fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, high school, and there's older kids, and these older kids are saying things to you. They're saying, you're just, you're just, your parents are just. Maybe your teacher is defining you in a certain way. I'm just here to say that's going to be powerful as you grow up. It's going to be powerful. And I think it's a good idea for all of us, adult or kids, all of us. To anchor down into our true identities. And you know, it struck me this week that a good way to do that is by meditating on the introductions or the greetings in the New Testament letters. Why? Because the New Testament letters are always written by people like Paul or Peter or others who address the church. And they always address the church with these hard identity statements. This is who you are. This is how I see you. More importantly, this is how God sees you. They're powerful redefinitions from God's mouth as to who we really are. I say redefinition because we need to redefine ourselves according to God. That is a long, it's a hard process. I think I would encourage counseling. I would just say counseling is not weird. It's a good thing. If you're in your young 20s, I heard Mike Cosper say, if I could speak to my 21-year-old self and call him on the phone, I would say, Mike Cosper, counseling isn't weird. Okay? But here's the point. We need a radical redefinition from God's mouth as to who we really are. Because of all the things that have been spoken over us. And that's exactly what we get in these first verses of 1 Corinthians. We get a powerful redefinition. Remember, Corinth, the ancient Roman colony in Greece, was an image conscious city. So when Paul greets the church with this letter, he speaks to their false identities with power. He's saying, this is who you really are. What does God call you? That's the question this morning. In fact, that word call, if you take a look at these first nine verses, is all over these verses. Paul says, I was called to be an apostle. This is my calling. The word church itself from the Greek, ekklesia, means called ones. 
And so what God is going to do, I pray this morning for all of us in this short time, is rename us. He gives us three powerful names in this text. He calls us His saints. Okay? And He doesn't just call you a saint with a wink in His eye. He calls you a saint. So we're going to talk about that. He calls you His own. We're going to talk about that. And He calls you His child. So let's start with saint, okay? You are called His saints. That's who you are called. After Paul identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus here in this text, called by the will of God, take a look at verse 1. He reminds the church of their identity, and the first thing he calls us is surprising. He says saints, called to be saints, called as saints. Now, this is an especially shocking title, especially if, like me, you grew up thinking that saints were sort of a higher class Christian. There's everybody else. There's sort of the lay people. They're the sinners. And then there's the saints. They're either the the people who are like super spiritual or they're at least the leaders in ministry. And it's shocking to us to read that Paul, the leader, is actually calling the church, which had its issues, as we'll see, saints. But that's your identity. Saint. How can this be? Well, number one, Paul tells us why. Number one, we are made holy by God. The reason that we can be called saints is because God does it. Remember what I said about religion versus the gospel. Religion teaches that we must become a saint. The gospel says that God makes us holy. His actions. The verb tense in verse 2, if you take a look. To those sanctified in Christ Jesus. That word sanctified means to be made holy or to be made a saint. That is in the passive tense. You remember what passive tense is? Kids, you're taking English class right now, right? What's passive tense? Remember? Passive tense? Nobody? Okay. Passive tense is when something is done to you. Not when you're doing the action. When someone else is doing the action. In fact, in theology, they call a verb like this in the Bible a divine passive. Because they're saying God is doing the action and we are receiving it. And so when it says here in verse 2, God is making you holy, that's exactly why we could be called a saint. It's God making us holy. It's His work, not ours. Number two, we are declared a saint. That's what He calls us. And we can't argue with that. We don't get a vote. If your trust is in Jesus, God calls you a saint. You can't argue with Him. He says, called to be saints. Holy or saint means set apart. God is saying, I've set you apart for special use. It's like the silverware that maybe your mom or dad or your grandparents only pulled out for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Those were, biblically speaking, holy silverware, right? Because they weren't used all the time. They were set apart. They were special. And that's what the word holy means in the Bible. And so what Paul is saying to this church that is a mess, let's be honest, it's a mess. We're going to see why. He says to them, you are being made holy by God and you are declared holy by God. I'm like, well, how could that be? I'm a sinner. I'm a messed up person. I've made a lot of mistakes. There's no possible way that I could be called a saint and God not be a liar. Well, that's why we have verse 8. The Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
we are called a saint because we are declared guiltless in Christ. How can that be? Well, Paul says in Colossians 1.22, and I'll put it up behind me. Yet now, he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his presence, and you are now holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. How can we stand guiltless and holy before a holy God? The answer is in this verse. It's because Jesus reconciled us to God. It's Jesus' death in our place. It's been called the great exchange. Jesus, well, let's start with us. We give Jesus our sin, our brokenness, our rebellion, past, present, and future. That's what we give Jesus. And you know what Jesus gives us in return? How dare you? No, that's not what he gives us. He gives us his righteousness, his death in our place. It's called the great exchange because there's a real exchange that happens when you trust in Jesus. Your shame, your guilt, all the ways you've messed up, all the ways you're messing up, present tense, all of those things, all of that was nailed to the cross. So that as Elliot Gruden puts it, when you look at the cross, you should think two things. Number one, that should be me. And number two, that will never ever be me. That's how we can stand guiltless before the Father. Because Jesus came as our substitute. Some of you know Mark Titus. Do you guys know about Mark Titus? Do you know who this is? Well, Mark Titus, 10 years ago, he walked on to the Ohio State basketball team. Is this ringing a bell yet? He created a blog called Club Trillion. Does this ring a bell? Okay, Club Trillion. Club Trillion, because that was his box score for most games. One trillion, okay? One in the first column, which means minutes played, okay? And then zeros for all other 12 columns. (laughs) Points, rebounds, and so on. So he started Club Trillion, and he blogged about it, and it got big. And then after graduating, he released his memoir, which says this. Don't put me in, coach. My incredible NCAA journey from the end of the bench to the end of the bench. And that was his journey, okay? And why am I thinking of Mark Titus when I'm thinking of his text? Because here's the thing about Titus. He wasn't good enough to play, but he was on the team. He had the jersey. And that's how the gospel works. God puts a jersey on you. And that's why the gospel offends us too. The gospel offends us because it means that the Mark Tituses of the world are every bit as much a Buckeye as sort of the Greg Odins of the world. Or insert your favorite player. Because they're wearing the jersey. They're on the team. Our Christian box score, to put it another way, doesn't matter. Our jersey does. 
So there is gospel over against every other religious approach to God. The gospel says only saints are those who, who, who know. The gospel says only saints are those who know they don't deserve the title. Can I say that again? The gospel declares that all those who are saints are those who know they don't deserve the title. If you think you deserve the title saint, then you don't have the title saint, according to God. You see how upside down that is? How counterintuitive that is? Even how much of a front that is? How much of an affront would that be to the Corinthians who loved power and success? In fact, Paul will say in the first chapter of this letter, this is a stumbling block for you all. And I realize that. That the Mark Tituses of the world are every bit as much a Buckeye. That, that, I know that offends you, but it's true. Because Jesus came to serve sinners and to save them. Not the righteous. I love this quote from Kenneth Bailey. He writes, and this is true. We're going to get into this. The Corinthians were getting drunk at Holy Communion. And shouting insults at each other. One of them was sleeping with his mother-in-law. It's true. It's in the text. They split into factions. Some thought that polished language was more important than historical realities like the cross. Yet Paul called them saints. Remarkable. Clearly for Paul, a saint meant a person who had, who had received the Holy Spirit and not a person who had reached some undefined stratospheric level of piety. The troublesome Corinthians were saints. So whatever name or title that you've been given, your Father in Heaven calls you saint. And as if that wasn't enough, Paul says that all Christians are called by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so this is the second point. You are called His own. It says in your text probably, called to uh, be saints together with all those who in every place, and this is in verse 2, the last part, call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Greek actually shows another passive. And we know what passive is now, right? Passive means something that is done to us. And so what's going on in this text is Paul is saying, to all who have been called by the name the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have had Jesus claim over them. And so this, too, is our deepest and most accurate identity in Christ. You, you guys all know that I love used books by now. <laughs> I talk a lot about it. If you've been to our house, we're sort of overflowing with books. And I'm constantly needing to go to half price to kind of offload them and make things look kind of like I'm not a hoarder at house. Um, I love used books. I have a list of books that I could buy with one swipe on Amazon, and it would be in my house in two days. But I sort of just have it, and I know it's a, it's a mental list of books in my mind, and I purposefully go to used bookstores to see if I can find it there instead. And I love grabbing a used book because it's beaten up a little bit. I love that there's underlines, you, there's marginalia, to use a Billy Collins phrase. There's, there's things in the margin. You kind of get to know the previous owner a little bit. If there's too much, you kind of don't buy it, right, because that's creepy. But if there's just a little bit, that's fine. Uh, but what I really love is the cover, because on the cover, sometimes you have these amazing nameplates that people paste onto their old books. Or some people have the embosser stamp. Have you seen those, where they emboss their book page with their name? It says, like, ex libris or whatever. Like, I love having books to have these things and usually they're crossed out sometimes if you're lucky you get one that has like three names crossed out I love that I think it's amazing and I think it's a beautiful thing 
And I was thinking about that exact thing this week when I was studying this passage because what it means to be in Christ means that we have His mark of ownership on our front page. Really, that's what it means. We have been stamped. We have His name. We have His marginalia all over us. He, has, he owns us. And there's nothing you can do. You can't sharpie over that. Many people will try. You can't sharpie over that. It, he owns us. We are in His possession. We are called by Him. The late Brennan Manning, who openly struggled with many false identities, says, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is illusion. Amen? You are called saint. You are called his own. And finally, you are called his children. Not explicitly, but implicitly in verse 3. In verse 3, if you take a look, God is called our Father. And because God is our Father, what does that mean? We are His children. Because God is our Father, we are His children. And because we are His children, two things flow from this relationship. Number one, we are graced by our Father. Number two, we are gifted by our Father. God's children are graced. So as it says here in the text, grace to you, verse 3, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace flows from our Father. Grace, which is an undeserved gift. Grace, which is one-way love. That flows from our Father to His children. Means he takes care of our sins, and it's by that grace, not our works. This results in a deep peace. The second word used there is shalom or peace. So grace and peace. Peace doesn't just mean absence of conflict in those days. Peace or shalom, the Hebrew understanding, was a full sort of relationship at its best. Do you know what I mean by that? Some of you have friendships. Some of you have marriages. Some of you have father-son, father-daughter, mother-daughter, etc. Relationships. You know the difference between having a, a mere relationship. Yeah, we're related in some way. And having a flourishing relationship. Shalom means a flourishing relationship. And so what Paul is saying is that if you are a child of God, you not only have grace from Him, but you have a flourishing relationship with Him. And that grace is its a vertical grace, as I just described, but it sets us into friendship with God. But it's also a horizontal grace. Because what Paul is doing here is pretty tricky. And follow, follow me here, because this, this might be confusing at first. But when Paul says grace and peace, did you know that he's combining two greetings? So it was common in, in Corinth to hear their greeting, Paris, which is hello, which is grace, grace to you. It'd be like us saying... What's up? You know? Top of the day. Whatever. Um, Does anybody say top of the day? Okay. That's all it was. It was like grace to you. God bless you, you know? And then if you were were Hebrew, if you were Jewish, you would say shalom. Much as we do today. These were the greetings. And so in this greeting, Paul is taking two cultures that were at odds. And that did not really intermix. For very strong cultural reasons. And he is saying, because you are God's children in Christ, 
Karis and Shalom. Grace and peace. It's actually a very subversive thing he does. He's calling the church of Jesus to be united in their diversity. He's calling the church to a very very, um, subversive and countercultural community. Where natural worldly building blocks between two cultures are torn down. So that's what it means to be his child. That's what it means to be graced. I love this quote from Paul Zoll. He says, grace is one way love. Take an inventory of yourself. Watch other people. Okay, this is great. Watch other people about whose happiness you care. And you will see it over and over again. One way love lifts up. One way love cures. One way love transforms. It is the change agent of life. God's children are graced with one way love. And then this text also just pours out all kinds of affirmations of their gifts. If you take a look, it says, I give thanks to my God always for you. This is verse 4. Because of the grace that God has given you in Christ Jesus. Now that's kind of an interesting phrase. Because when Paul thinks about all the things that he can give thanks to God about this church, the one thing, the first thing, maybe even the only thing he can thank God for is how much grace they've been given. Okay, that's kind of funny, right? These people need a lot of grace. Is basically what he's saying. Uh, They are a mess. But I thank you, God, for all of the grace that you've poured out on this community. I also thank you, God, he goes on in verse 5, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and knowledge. So that in verse 7 it says, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of his revealing. And so you are given every gift from him. Again, this confronts all religious approaches to God. Religion makes goals, tries to make things better. But the gospel says you are in God's family by grace. Religion says be faithful. But verse 9 says God is faithful. Religion says if you obey, God will be your friend. He will give you fellowship. Verse 9 of the Bible says, You have been called into fellowship with Jesus by grace. You have his friendship already. Years ago, I went to Germany with my college class for the summer. And we had a fellow student who couldn't eat anything. Um, They couldn't eat the food, they couldn't drink the drinks because, according to them, they were allergic to this, to that, and to the other thing. And it was a, a completely debilitating allergy to almost everything. And here's this just rich feast of amazing food in front of them every single day. And it was just, no, I can't, no, I can't, no, I can't. Well, it turned out they weren't allergic to those things. Because one day, they just decided to try that, and it was fine, and then try that, and it was fine, and then try that, and it was fine, drink that, just fine. It was actually really painful to watch, because it became evident 
and the light bulb started to turn on for them that their parents were saying these things as a means of control. And as, as they shed this sort of identity that was placed on them, you saw this person start to feast what they were missing out on because of this false identity that was placed over them. Same is true for you. Same is true for me. God is calling you to shed these false identities that are sort of impacting. They're destructive. They're not true. You are called saint by God himself. You are called by the name of Jesus, by himself. You are called his children. All this is by grace. And so we can live out of that. Amen? We can live out of that. Lord, we pray that indeed you would do that in our lives. That you would anchor down our souls into these hard and fast realities in this first few verses of chapter 1 in your letter. Lord, we pray that whatever names we've been called, whatever identities we've been given, we ask, Lord, that we would um, hear your voice as stronger and more persuasive. Only you can do that, God. And we ask that you would. In Jesus' name. Amen.